Yeah, so my name is Kyle Burke. I've been doing youth ministry for a bit, and this is the second time I'm going to preach in front of adults. So please bear with me if I'm a little goofy or I do like ninja moves. It's just, it's just the way that I, that I move about the stage. And um, I'm actually super excited because when Matt first approached me about joining the team and then also getting involved in the preaching schedule, he's like, hey, we're going through First Peter, and that happened to also be my favorite New Testament letter. So really excited to be a part of this process. Um, and I love the, the, the series so far. The text is just really rich, and it's landing in 1 Peter 5, where we're going to be today, um, I think in a pretty cool place, but it can be a little bit complex to parse. So um, I'm going to jump in very soon. Before we get underway in the text, we first have to talk about sheep. Now, why am I talking about sheep? Well, Peter uses shepherding language all throughout this text. And if you remember from your Awana days or maybe from a Bible study, sheep run through the whole scripture narrative. Beginning with Cain and Abel, baby sheep gets sent to God you know, lovingly, I hope. And uh, Cain is all mad about it, kills his brother about it. The Passover lamb in Exodus is what protects, the blood of that lamb protects the people of God from the wrath of God. David is a shepherd and he's found out in the field and that's where he, he rules from that position as a shepherd. And um, it all accumulates in these kind of moments where sheep and shepherds are bridging the gap between God's narrative and our lives. And that's not accidental. God isn't just obsessed with sheep. There's a reason for it. Because to him, we are his sheep. We are his flock, his sweet little lambs. And um, that's one of the reasons I think Psalm 23 is one of the most heartfelt and quoted psalms in all of scripture. It's about a good shepherd taking care of his sheep. Um, many of you grew up memorizing it, maybe, or hearing it, or claiming it over your own lives when you're going through something rough. And um, it's a beautiful image that I think most humans want deep down inside. They want a God to care for them and protect them and love them and lead them to a life of, of, of health, of, of prosperity. And that sometimes lands in the wrong place, but with God, it lands in Jesus. Right? Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd. He claims that in John. And I think he takes that, that path on purpose. He's like, you know all those stories about sheep and shepherding in the Old Testament? I am the good shepherd. I'm here to lead you to, to green pastures. And Peter's using the, the shepherding language, I think, because maybe because he was a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> maybe because he lived and walked with this man who, who modeled how to lead and how to shepherd well. And he's in turn trying to guide these, these leaders in exile, these, these shepherds in exile um, from all over the world. And Jesus passed on his knowledge like most shepherds do from father to son. And he passed on his, his techniques and his, his life itself to, to the disciples who then passed it on to their disciples who then passed it on to their disciples. And it's a beautiful transition that's coming from a place of very deep personal experience and spirituality that we can all relate to. Jesus Christ was a man and he passed his authority and his care onto his disciples. And so Peter's trying to kind of get his mind around that as we approach the text. He's trying to give us some, um, some guidelines and how to, uh, attitudes and how to approach leadership. And I think it can be useful for all of us. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. It'll be up on this, uh, it won't be up on the screen yet. Um, it'll, parts of it will be up on the screen, but we will be reading from the NIV. If you do not have a Bible, we have some under the seats in front of you. Um, and if you do not have a Bible at home, please feel free to take that home. It's a gift from the church. So 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the good, the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So it's a, it's a dense little five verses. There's a lot going on here. And so to unpack it, we have to first look at the term elders um, that's spread throughout the text. Elders have a lot of different connotations from Old Testament to New Testament. Even in our own modern co context of church, eldership looks different. And, and the roles and the responsibilities of what it means to be an elder can be interpreted differently by different churches. And for us at FBC, we do not have an office of elder. We have pastors and shepherds, and they kind of cover all of that and uh, what an elder entails. So that's just a caveat to, to keep in mind. It doesn't just mean older people. It has a lot of like leadership tones to it. So if you see elder, look at shepherd or pastor, like we'll kind of replace the word. Um, so yeah, 1 Peter 5 verse 1 is a quaint little opening. It is, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Now, Mr. Kyle, why did you underline all this stuff? Well, Peter is tying his own identity into this greeting, and it's a very personal greeting. He starts out, to the elders among you I appeal, and in, in the ESV they translate it, I exhort you. I use my authority to tell you what's going to happen. And he's Peter, the rock Johnson, right? Like he is Peter given the title rock by Jesus. He's like, I'm the rock. I'm the first guy. Like it's a cool title by Jesus. You all got to listen to me, right? But he doesn't just stay in the position of, you know, authoritative apostle. He says, fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. He comes down to our level. So yeah, maybe some of us aren't pastors, but he says we have all witnessed what it looks like to give up our lives for Christ. And that is the commonality that he starts preaching from. But then he doesn't end there. He doesn't just say, I'm an apostle. I've been a leader. I know what it's like to be a veteran in the faith. No, we will one day all share in the glory to be revealed. The glory that was not earned, but won by Christ. So he lands this whole greeting at the feet of Jesus. And there's a reason that he's taking such careful, um, such a careful approach is because the, the content that he's going to cover is very, very challenging and difficult. Leadership is not an easy task. Leadership is not just a one-stop shop. And he's trying to say, from his own life, I've, I have lived the life. He's an old man at this point. I've lived the life that it takes to follow Christ, and it's not easy. He's been tortured, and he's going to die on the cross. Peter does not have an easy walk with it, and he wants us to see that he's trying to passionately guide these leaders. That, okay, here's what's coming up, and this is where I'm coming from, guys. I'm coming from a place of, of commonality. So, Let's move on to the command in verse 2 through 4. Well, 2 through 3 will we'll be up on the screen, yeah. He uh, approaches this um, shepherding command. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And he, he gives three attitudes after that. But the, the command to be shepherds of God's flock can kind of maybe be standoffish for most of us in this room. You're like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader in the church. Why, how does this apply to my life? And he's writing this kind of, this opener 
I think, because he's trying to apply this to many, many contexts. So just to, to pull back a little bit, Peter's writing to exiles, and he has no idea if it's a small, tiny house church of a family that he's writing to or a more established group of people with leadership and pastors. And, and so he's trying to kind of hit a lot of um, emotions and a lot of like uh, different people groups. And so when we look at the word shepherds, a lot of us can maybe push away from that. But you're all responsible for paying attention to this because one— if you are in a church, you should know what good leadership looks like, and you should know what good bad leadership looks like. You should know that if you're, in, if you're sitting in a pew, and I'm, this is a good church, just by the way. This is not like, try to figure it out now. So just wipe that from your brain. But maybe some of you have been in context where there was bad leadership, and it rotted the church from the inside out, and people just kind of sat by idly and watched the whole church fall apart, right? So Paul, Peter is saying, what I'm about to lay out are some rules and attitudes that will help you recognize good leaders from bad leaders. And on top of that, many of you, maybe you're not leading in the church setting, but you're leading in your home or your job or your school, and that is a huge calling unto itself. These principles can be applied to any leadership position. So he's specifically addressing leaders in the church here, but he wants you to see that maybe there's a deeper level that you can take these principles to. And what are the principles? Well, he starts out by saying, be shepherds of the flock of God who are under your care. And in that, there are two tensions at play. He's like, be shepherds, but it's God's flock. It's God's flock that you're shepherding. And in fact, the word shepherds should better be translated under shepherd or hired hand. This is not the owner of the flock that he's saying, be shepherds. He's saying, be the hired hand, be the worker, the day laborer that watches these sheep. Because the owner, God, gets to determine who and where he uses us right? There's a, there's a weird thing at play with leadership. We can get a little possessive and try to own the group instead of really realizing that God is the owner of this particular flock, this church. But he doesn't leave it out there for God to deal with. He says, in your care. So it's a both and. It's God's flock, but he's given you a personal little set, a number to, to guide and to shepherd and to care for. And that's a tough balance to strike. Like how far do we give it to God and how far do we take control it's almost impossible to do this the Christian way without really understanding the Christian values that undergird this command. And so that's what Peter's going to do. He's going to give us some attitudes that help us avoid control and also avoid just giving it all away. And that's where we're going to go. Yeah, first attitude right here, right now. Christian leaders must be cheerful, perceptive, and personally invested in their flock. If you look at the beginning or the middle of verse 2, the language says, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. And in, the, in uh, the ESV, he uses the term oversight instead of watching over. And I like that because many of you have maybe been in a position of leadership or management, and it takes a careful eye to lead well. So these are not just shepherds sitting on the couch like with binoculars, like I hope there's no lions coming. You know, like there's no, there's no like lazy approach. Leadership is, is uh, managerial. It is, it is careful. But... What can happen is um, this attitude can be difficult to implement, even if, it's, even if we understand what is at stake. So many times we, we find ourselves in a job, or even maybe as parents, and we find ourselves grumbling under our breath, or frustrated with the way things are going, or hopeless that nothing will change, and I'm stuck in this, like, this purposeless job, and those are the attitudes that most people go through life in, right? In work, that's kind of like why sitcoms exist. 
to kind of make the point that like, doesn't life suck? Ha ha ha. And it's true. But Peter's saying, don't do that. Be cheerful. Be perceptive. Be personally invested. Why? Well, because people can tell when you're not. My two, when I was a, uh, my last job ended in, in early December, so I've been a stay-at-home dad up until May with this little cute two-year-old who became a defiant two-year-old <laughs> overnight. And every day, all day, I'm with this kid, and it was really fun in the beginning, and then when he starts saying no for the thousandth time in that day, I started to kind of check out sometimes, you know, like pull out my phone, be like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, or watch a show that I wanted to watch. And he would, he would pick that up immediately. He's not, he's not stupid. He would know if I'm doing my own thing and he, and he would come over to me and he would either tap me on the leg or grab my faith, face and say, Daddy, look at me. <laughs> and that would like break my heart. I'm like, I'm the worst father. <laughs> right? So the attitude is much more important than the action. Right? You, you're, all your good work can be for nothing if they figure out, oh, it's your compulsion, you're, you're pushed to do this. And Jesus knows that. He knows it's a difficult task to serve and then and work and work with this long-term view that I'm going to come to work cheerful. I'm going to come to work personally invested. <laughs> it's hard. Shepherds had this in a really rough way in the first century. Being a shepherd meant you were out for months even in the wilderness with sheep. Sheep, they stink. They're stupid. They keep trying to kill themselves constantly. There's animals that want to eat sheep. There's robbers that want to take your sheep. And they're, they're always like falling into spikes and bushes and you're like cleaning them up all the time. You're, they're giving birth and you're like, what? What do I do with this baby sheep, right? Like there's just constant, it's a constant job. You're always on edge. You can't for one second take a, a lax approach. So how are we supposed to do something like that with a cheerful attitude? Especially because the shepherds in the first century were considered outcasts. To a Jew, shepherds were unclean. They, they came in contact with blood. They came in contact with death. They were technically, to be in, involved in society, in Jewish society, they'd have to go through rituals of cleansing to be even brought back in. And so it was a thankless job. But it's the job that Jesus chose for himself, like the identity that he claimed. And it's because he knows that even though it's difficult, it's worthwhile. And he did it for us. And he will empower you through that. He will empower these Christian leaders to have a cheerful attitude and be perceptive and personally invested because he had to do that. And he's claimed, he's like, hey, if I can do it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the power through my spirit to do that. So that's the first attitude. Otherwise, that would just be impossible, right? Without Christ, this is an impossible attitude to keep for more than a month. <laughs> We'd all tap out. We'd be like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm gonna change jobs so I can be cheerful over there. So yeah, this is a, this is a tough attitude, but because Jesus went first, we can do it. The second attitude, I think, is even harder. Christian leaders must have an open-handed and flexible faith, pursuing God's will and not their own plans. This is still countercultural today. Leadership roles, management roles, CEOs, business owners, they don't often look at people under them as truly people. Let's be honest. Your stats on an Excel spreadsheet, your position that needs to be filled, you should get shuffled around like a chess piece. And people in those, I mean, many of you have probably been there, been under poor management, and you probably felt like all I am is just what I can produce or give, and not who I am. The pain that I bear, the frustrations that I have, right? It devalues human life. Because in the, in the verse, if you look at the verse, um, he says, uh, at the end of verse two, he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Dishonest gain in this, in, this, in this mentality is that I own these sheep. These shepherds 
it would be crazy, but this is, may have happened. It would be crazy for them to be like, this little flock that I was given is now mine because of my hard work or because I've been given a position over it. Right? God is the owner. Again, we've established that. God is the owner and he's given this personal flock out and to snip some wool off on the side or to like pocket a baby lamb and take it home, like that's, that's dishonest. That's not what we were called to do as leaders. <clears throat> and in the church, this is catastrophic, this attitude of entitlement and, and uh, using others for your gain. I mean, there's been countless stories in the news and in your own life where you've seen church leaders create a church that's just a platform for themselves, platform for their ego, platform for their ideas. And they may even use scripture really well. You know, I'm going to preach love and truth and family and gospel so that you all come listen to me. It's, it's horrible because what happens is the sheep are underfed, they're abused, and they become relegated to not people. They're resources, they're numbers, and that's not how the gospel works. In fact, Jesus did the opposite, right? At the peak of some of Jesus' ministry points in his life, when he had hundreds to thousands of people following him, he would say one thing to thin the herd. He would say something like, if you were to follow me, you must eat my body and drink my blood. And the Jew was like, say what? What'd you say? Because that's nuts. I'm out. Like, there's just, there was no way that they're going to be associated with somebody that would claim that, right? But the reason Jesus said that is he wants true relationship. He wants the sheep that are there to be hearing his voice and not what he gives them, right? And we've talked about that before here in First Peter. You don't want God's stuff. You want to have God. Lee talked about that last week. On the flip side, though, Christians can swing to the other side. So we have the egomaniacs, the control freaks, the people that want you to come listen to them, and then we have us sometimes, because human love is very strange. Humans are strange. We think that the more good that we do, the more entitled to good we become. Right? It's really hard to shake that mentality. The more good I do, the more good work I put into my family, my job, my ministry, there should be fruit. And the point is, again, are we the arbiters of our own fate? Are we supposed to be living that way? No. What can happen then, if you, do, if you do live that way, is that your love becomes conditional. What you give expects results. There's always strings attached. And that breaks people just as quickly as being relegated to just numbers, especially in a family, especially in a church family. So that's the crazy thing. You can swing either way and have the same result broken people. And, but Peter says, if you have this approach, this open-handed, flexible faith, you can combat that. Because you're really always continually washing your mind. Who is leading? Whose sheep are these? God's. Whose resources are these? God's. And the final attitude, the third attitude, is uh, the beginning of verse 3. He says, well, he doesn't say this. This is the summation. Christian leaders must be empathetic and gentle with their brothers and sisters, never harsh or abusive. And the verse says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now I'm going to take you into a, a brief little deep dive into first century abusive power. <laughs> if any of us jumped in a time machine today, we're all like, let's go have a picnic with Jesus, right? And we jumped in a time machine today and went back to see Jesus. We'd be like hitting the eject button, like, let's go back to our hometown because these people are crazy. Like, there's, I don't feel safe here. Everyone's dying because the society of, of the Roman Greco era and even in Jerusalem was built upon power over others. So it all started in the home. In the Greco-Roman culture, a father had absolute power 
over the people in his home. Absolute power. He could kill, divorce, or beat his wife without any, almost any legal recourse. He could kill or beat a slave to death without almost any legal recourse. And children had no rights. A father could sell his, his son or daughter into slavery or kill them without any legal recourse. That was how straight, crazy strong the authority top-down uh, model of, of, of power ran in that culture. And that was just the home. Then you have governors, and then you have mayors, and then you have everyone else in leadership exerted that kind of fear and, and power over the people under them. And so to survive, you'd have to learn real quick, like, who not to, to bug, and like, you have to really know how to keep yourself stuck in your line. And in the smallest deviation, you'd be severely punished. And this is the, this is the culture that Peter is writing to. He's like, you know what it's like to live in fear of those above you, so you must not do that in the church. In fact, in the Greek, the word not lording it means have power over. Do not have power over these people. And that's just, that, that would just been like, that's crazy. I can't even picture what that would look like, Peter, for them. And I think for us too, that can, it can be hard to picture. In my life, I, uh, I had a little bit of a, a, a brief glimpse of what could happen with this attitude if you swing the opposite direction and you become power hungry because I had a, a student in one of my spiritual formation classes in seminary. It's a class where we just shared a lot about our lives and of our spiritual walk and shared in the disciplines and we, we grew really close. It was like about 13 of us, except for this one guy he never shared. He sat in the corner, kind of judgy, kind of quiet, never shared, just kind of sat there just watching us be honest and open and vulnerable. And so the third retreat comes along. This is a year and a half later. And all of a sudden, he decides to share. He's like, I have something to say. And we were like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, he's going to share some like, deep, like, dark stuff. And then we can pray for him. And he can be like, you know, we're loving on you. No, he didn't share that. He shared something that made us all go, oh, bro, don't share that ever again. Um, he said, he stood up and said, you know the reason I came to seminary? I wanted to become a pastor so that people will listen to me and do what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. And we're all like, say what? Like, that just happened right now? This guy literally just said that out loud. I felt like maybe it was God kind of breaking through. Like, he's like, he was holding that in. And that attitude is horrifying. I mean, we even brought it up with the dean and some other authority figures, and I don't know how it really ended. But it, that, that's the type of people that get attracted to leadership positions. Honestly, even in the church. These people that are like, I have something to say, and I want to do what I want to do with the people that are under me. That's the exact opposite of who Jesus, Jesus was and Jesus is. Jesus lived such a contradictory life to that mode of authority. He served instead of was served. He raised up people who should by law have been killed. The, the, the adulterous woman should by law have been stoned to death. And he said, you are forgiven. He told stories about the prodigal son, and that son could have even been stoned for being such a shame on his family, and yet the father embraced him in love. Jesus told these amazing stories and did these acts of love, and then he backed it up and went to the cross and said, look, I'm going to even do it. In the garden, remember, he's going to be taken by these guards, and he said, I have 10,000 angels that I could just do this, and you'd all be vaporized, but I'm going to go with you willfully. And we'll, we'll, we'll cover that a little bit later too, but um, Peter, Peter's living this out, man. He's, I, I'm telling you, as he writes this, he's like living out Jesus, like who Jesus was in front of him. And he ends this verse, uh, verse three, he says, but being examples to the flock, 
Because sheep did know the voice of their shepherd. If you got a bunch of sheep and, and, and flocks together, the shepherd would be like, yip, 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 yip. I don't know how they, the, whatever calls they did, but it was like, yip, 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 yip. and all the sheep would follow the voice, right? Like, Meh. And then the other shepherd would do his call, and that would split the, the herds, but the shepherd would often walk behind the sheep, and then there would be a lead ram or an older sheep that would lead the way back home or to the next pasture. So the sheep do know the shepherd's voice, but they also follow the sheep's example. And that's what uh, Peter is saying here. He's saying, yeah, you're shepherds, but you're also sheep. Mr. Elder, Mr. Shepherd, Mr. Pastor, you're a sheep. And Jesus is the sheep. Well, not the sheep. He's the lamb that was slain. We read that in Revelation. He's the lamb that was slain, and that title gave him authority and power over everyone. So uh, where does this leave us? There's a lot to process here, I know. But Peter is trying to give us a life hack to leadership. He's trying to give us some attitudes, not rules, but attitudes that will help us be good leaders. And he he says in verse 4 that if you can do this, the chief shepherd appears and you will receive the crown of glory that never fades. All that hard work, all that, that steep learning curve is worth it. And I think we can take this and apply it to everyone too. Because 1 Peter is a, is a letter where he's shaping Christian leaders in general. He's sharing some really tough theological and, and personal struggles in your life and in his life from 1 Peter 4. I mean, we did that last week with, with Lee, how difficult it is to understand suffering and, and to live it out and to become a part of that mode of, of life. He's saying, you're all spiritual leaders at least, and this life will end in glory if you can pursue to the end, right? If you can push through. But we don't earn it, right? We don't earn it. And Jesus is an interesting enigma because he is both chief shepherd, good shepherd, and the lamb who was slain. That's the beauty of Christ. He's both God and man. And the image of the lamb that was slain is so rich in Jewish history, and I hope for us too, because they would bring lambs, right, to the altar and cut their throat. And, but there was a resistance there. There was a forcing of it happening. Imagine the lamb crawling up on the altar for you. One of the best scenes in my mind, the, the images that comes to our mind, my wife and I love the Passion of the Christ, even if we can only really watch it once or twice, like ever, um, because Jesus is being tortured and he's being mocked and he's carrying his cross and he goes all the way to the hill and he like collapses, the cross falls down, he collapses on his back and he could have probably just given up right there. He could have just like tapped out, like, Lord, just take me. <laughs> but instead, as everyone's mocking him and kicking him and, and laughing at him, he gets on his arms and knees and crawls to the cross and then he lays himself to be, to be nailed down. And that just, I love that scene because everyone in the crowd goes, <laughs> the Romans, the, 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 the Pharisees, they're like, who is this that would lay himself and willfully go to death for, for whatever he, his cause, right? was for us. That's what the beauty of Revelation is talking about. Like, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He is the King of Kings. But the, the, the title that gives him authority and power is the Lamb who was slain. So that's kind of First um, Peter 5, 1 through 4. So we have one more verse to go. And uh, I just highlighted a little bit here. And um, yeah, so this is not the full verse, but I think this is the middle, the crux of it. So the verse goes, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Um, 
Yeah, so like I just transitioned, right, from leadership to submitting. It can be a little confusing. Um, some of you may be still unsure about what this whole section means for you. I'm still kind of seeing myself as a sheep, Mr. Kyle. Like I'm not really much of a shepherd. I'm not much of a leader. And now you're telling me to just submit. <laughs> it can be a little insulting, a little strange. But Peter is doing this for, on purpose. He's saying that the middle part, right? All of you clothe yourselves with humility because Christ has won this impossible victory. He has gone to the cross for you. Everything else pales in comparison to his sacrifice. So we must all clothe ourselves in humility. I always picture like putting on sheep outfits. We must all wear our sheep outfits, even if you're a shepherd. <laughs> and um, Peter is not preaching from, uh, from theory here. He's preaching from experience. Because his story is so crazy, right? He goes from being the self-sufficient fisherman, right? Maybe owning a little company. He has a house on the, on the lake view, probably in Capernaum. He's got a wife. He's got a mother-in-law who Jesus has to heal. Like, he's living his best life now. And then Jesus comes along, and he like, throws out a, a hook, line, and sinker into Peter's mouth and says, you're going to be a fisher of men, just as I have fished you out of your business. And Peter has been given an aspect, an identity that Christ has, a fisher of men. He says, Peter, you're going to do this. And then they become bros, right? Peter becomes one of the three in the circle of bros with Jesus, hanging out, praying, being mightier than thou, probably to the other guys. Like, you guys wish you hung out with Jesus as much as I did. And then Jesus... I, and it feels like, can even feel like, bumps his ego up a bit, and he calls him, you're going to be the rock, Peter. He's like, yeah, I'm the rock. I'm the rock that Christ's going to build his church on. And he starts rolling with that momentum. He sees the transfiguration. He's feeling good. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all of this should be coming to a head, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts a dude's ear off, <laughs> which is a strange way of defending Jesus. Like, couldn't you have killed one person, Peter? No, he just cut an ear. And then he ran. He booked it. He's like, oh, my God. Like, they all ran away. And Jesus is left alone. And the next scene we see is Peter creeping into the courtyard, trying to see what happens to Jesus, and then just flat out denies him three times in a row. Three times in a row, he says, I don't even know that man. And the last one is to a little girl, the serving girl. He's like, oh, big bad Peter is running again. And that should have been the end of his story. That should have, he denied the Lord God. It wasn't just like denying Paul or denying John, his brother in Christ. No, he denied the Lord and that should have been the end of his journey. But then we get this amazing scene in John 21, 15 through 19. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to that, John 21, 15 through 19, it's, yeah, one of the most touching, powerful moments in Scripture because this man should not have any leadership role in the church. He ran from Jesus after claiming, I would die for you. No, he didn't. He didn't want to die for Jesus that day. So John 15 starts out, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. And Peter did not shy away from that, that command to follow him. He just was told by Jesus he's going to be crucified. And he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to own that part. I want to be a shepherd like you, Jesus. I want to lay my life down for my sheep. So he's preaching from his heart, man. He's preaching from experience. He knows the end of his life is going to end in crucifixion, which is the most shameful way to go. So how does this again land for us? I mean, we should be encouraged if Peter, who peaked and then he plummeted, can be used by God to become one of the most powerful and influential Christians in history then we should be excited to see what God's going to do with our lives. And that command to submit in, in, in verse 5 isn't to abase yourself or to be like, oh, I'm under the pastor, I'm not worthy. No, it's to help, to encourage. The pastors, leaders, shepherds need bolstering. They need people to, to clarify maybe when things get muddy. They need help being humble sometimes. They need correction. They need you, the people, to share your heart so that they can be, you can be prayed for and, 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 and guided. We're all submitting, and remember, this doesn't end with the pastor. We submit to Christ. And if, the, if a leader or a pastor is serving and leading well, they should be leading from below, not from above, from a place of service. And yeah, so we saw these three attitudes that should cover and define leadership. And I'll just go through them again. You don't, you don't have to have them up on the screen, but Christian leaders should be careful, uh, cheerful, perceptive, and personally invested in their flock. Christian leaders must have an open-handed and flexible faith, pursuing God's will and not their own plans. And Christian leaders must be empathetic and gentle with their brothers and sisters, never harsh or abusive. If those three things can guide leadership and pastoring and in your own home, you will be living the literal life and death of Christ. The power of Christ will be there, present. He promised that. And this is the guideline that holds all leaders accountable the sheep need to know that. They need to know, okay, it's laid out right here. It's, it's written by Peter. Here it is. <laughs> I'm going to hold them to this, this role, this way of service, this way of an, a cheerful attitude and in personally investing themselves in the lives of others. That's one of the biggest reasons I came here. This church, from the beginning, from just meeting Matt and Lee and then meeting the, 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 the worship team and the leadership team here and the shepherding team, it just oozes gratitude and humility. You guys just love so easily and freely. Um, just the way that you gave us so much food for the, for the pantry pounding, it's still, it's still there. We're trying to eat it and it's like barely made a dent. We're like, how do we get through this? I'm glad and honored to be a part of a church like this. And I want us all to see that we play a huge part in that. Like your gift to me nurtured me. Just giving me those food boxes. It just showed me an aspect of Christ. And so where do we land from here? Man, we, we all land at the feet of Jesus. This is my benediction right here. So finally, may God grant us all the mercy to love one another humbly. For humility is the soil in which Christ plants and nurtures his church. Nothing can grow in hard soil. A church can't be unified with pride or uh, I'm better than you because we're all sheep at the feet of our shepherd. Let me pray. Father, we, um, we approach your throne with confidence. You have brought us into your family. 
That has been the purpose of sending your son was to graft us in and to say, I know what it's like to go through the, the pain and trials of life and I have gone through so much more. I've gone through death on a cross. I have gone through the sins and the shame of every human being and I've come out with glory and power and honor, Lord. So I pray that as we go forth this week into our lives and in our, in our positions of either leadership or following, that you would be present in our minds and say, Lord, we are doing this for you and that is a humble attitude that we can hold ourselves to. And we just love you for who you are, Jesus, and how you've um, gone before us in every way possible. We ask this all in the name of the Son. Amen.